Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real-life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. I'm so excited to introduce this next guest. His story definitely resonates with me, and I know it will for you too. He took one of the worst days of his life and used it as a launching pad to propel himself into financial free, creating an amazing family, and having the ability to live anywhere in the world. This man serves no master and has designed the life of his dreams. Let's learn how to break the shackles of your life with the one, the only, Jonathan Green. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to spend some time together. Oh, I am too, man. This is going to be a fun one, I know for sure. So you can find more of everything you would ever want to know about and more about Jonathan, his services, and his products on his website, servenomaster.com. Also, follow Jonathan on TikTok at Island Ronin. That's I-S-L-A-N-D-R-O-N-I-N. So I don't know how familiar you are with my show, but I always like starting off with the tough questions and seeing where it goes. So you ready for a tough one? Yeah, give it to me. All right. Sounds good, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I like to try to throw people off base to get started with. But when I came across you and learned that you were coming on the show, I got really excited. You took what most people, I would assume, would take just bad news happening to them, whether it's something with a family member, a loved one, a profession, a relationship. And you had something like that happen to you. However, you took the initiative to use that to put your life, change your direction and go into a completely different place and ultimately where you're at today. So before I jump into that, can you give us just a little bit of a background of where you were in that part of your life and just pretty much set a backdrop for the story? Yeah, I spent most of my 20s trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I've always thought that I couldn't be an entrepreneur. I couldn't start my own business. I'm not that kind of person. I don't have the thing inside of me. Because every time you hear one of those entrepreneur stories, they're like, oh, I had my first business at 14, sold it at 15, then my second business at 18. And none of those things really sounded like me. And so I had this really strong belief. And I think it comes a lot from our educational system that's like, no, you get a job. You don't start a business. Like no one had ever said to me, you should start a business or you can start a business in any of my educational, whether it was high school or college or even when getting my postgraduate work, none of it that was ever a consideration was always like, no, you get more education so you can get a better job. And I remember at 27, I got my master's. I was teaching English as a foreign language. I have a master's in that. I actually have a master's with merit, which is similar to a cum laude in America, but I got it in England. And everyone in my class was like, yeah, after this program, I can get an extra dollar an hour at my job. That was the aspirations of my coworkers. And I was like, what? That's why you guys are here? You spend 10 months doing this program, working really hard, going back to school again. A lot of them were older than me. And they were going back to different countries, working all around the world, just like I'd been doing for an extra dollar an hour. That's not what I wanted. And I was able to get like a higher level position. I got basically the best position for someone in my field. By the time I was 29, I'd 
reached the peak. There was no job above where I'm at. I was working at one of the top 20 universities in America and I hated it. I really hated it. I've hated most of my jobs because you're, there's like, I just have the kind of personality where I want to do what I want to do. I'll work twice as hard if I get to choose what I'm working on. And I was working at that job and big university, big universities are very similar to government in that there's a lot of slow rolling and they gave me a task. They go, listen, this is gonna take you about six months. So this is what you're spending working on 40 hours a week for this for the next six months. And I was in charge of the department. It was a massive project of the department. And I finished it in 30 minutes and I was like, oh no. Oh, sure. Oh no, no, no. Like it was, I was devastated. <laughs> so I um, promised myself, I was like, I'm not going to go to job search websites. I'm not going to shop on Amazon in my office. And so I was taking walks for three to four hours a day around the university campus because I literally had nothing to do. I was so far ahead before they fired me from that job that which was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I was so far ahead. I was really like depressed because I was thinking, how long do I have to work here before I can quit? I was already thinking that like a couple days into the job because there's so much politics and so much of it is about like jockeying for position within the company and within this case, within the university that has almost nothing to do, like nothing to do. We never talked about the quality of education for the students or what the student experience was. No one cared about that. That was never discussed in the office. It was always like jockeying for position and who's this and that. And I was like, I've been here three days. We're already doing politics. Like already people come by my office and doing passive aggressive stuff to me. There was a huge fight. The, someone had been offered my job and turned it down before I came in and got the job. And she went crazy when she saw that I had a, a new chair. And I was like, but when I came into the office, it's not, I didn't get a new chair. There was no chair when I got the job. I said, hey, this office doesn't have a chair. Can I have a chair? Not can I have a replacement chair? It was this huge thing. And then when she found out I got a mouse to go with the computer, she was like, what? You're too good for a trackpad? I was like, I'm on the computer eight hours a day. Can I have a $5 mouse? I would have brought my own in from home. But there were these really weird political battles. And I'm really, I don't miss any of that. So I shouldn't have been at that job. I should have quit the job right away. I wasn't even there that long. I was only there a couple of weeks before they fired me and they released me. It was, and driving home from that, you know, I got fired in a blizzard, buy a new car, sign a lease on an apartment, same weekend, lose your job Monday. And I was like, they have so much power. We have this thought that like, oh, if you lose your job, you just lose your income stream. It's not true. I know people that have been devastated by losing their job and it's not easy to get back to work. I had a friend who was a high level executive, one of the biggest companies in America, lost his job during a downsizing. So they were just fired 10%. You know, they did um, a decimation, right? Decimation is the Roman term for when they kill one out of 10 people. And that's what they do a lot of companies. They go, oh, we're firing 10%. And I've seen a lot of companies where it doesn't matter if your department is profitable. You could be the most profitable department in the company. They go, we have to fire 10% of everyone. But yeah, but our, our parts, we're doing our part, right? Our department's profitable. The most profitable part of the company, they go, it doesn't matter, decimation. That happened to one of my friends and he went from a four-bedroom house and $200,000 cars to a one-bedroom apartment with a black mold problem and his wife got sick from it. And that has always stuck with me. It's that you don't just lose your job. You often lose everything. So many people lose their jobs and can never recapture that income stream or that type of job or they have to try and retrain and go into a completely different industry. I know a lot of people who I and worked with someone once he led two different companies to exits and then he couldn't get another job after that. Like these other companies like, Oh, you're too overqualified for us. You're too big for us. He's like, guys, I haven't had a job in 18 months. I'll do anything. And it was this, it's devastating because when you're relying on other people, 
you're so vulnerable. You can lose your income stream. You can lose your health insurance. You can lose your food. You can lose your ability for your kids to go to school. We all know someone who went, got switched from private to public school because their parents couldn't afford it anymore, right? And downsize their house or move to a different city. So there's all these vulnerabilities we have when someone else gets to decide how much money we make. And that's I'm, really what has driven me. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in real estate myself. And one of the big things that we talk about in our real estate circles is security. People want security. They think that a W-2 job, whether they're working for the government, university, private sector, that a job is as secure as it gets. But my experience too, when I got laid off back in, I think it was 2008, 2007, right before the big recession, I felt like a number. I felt completely worthless. I felt like they were just going around based off of numbers and it didn't feel fair. And for me personally, getting laid off was the best thing that had ever happened to me. Now, I shortly picked up another job right after that, which was even worse. But I got out of that because I was much smarter that second go around and then finally found an employer who was completely different than anything I've ever experienced before. And this that was like the, the catapult to take my life down to growth and contribution and bettering myself and all that. I won't get into all those details. However, so many people live in the fear of their employer doing just enough so they don't get fired or the people that do everything right and still no security. We don't have pensions anymore. We, ha we have to provide our own 401ks. And it feels like drudgery in a lot of ways that's set up poorly. And depending on the company culture, you could get lucky and have a work for a really great employer, but there's so many employers out there that just see their employees as numbers and lemmings, so to speak. And it's, it's really crazy. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you just sharing that because that brings up a lot of anxiety from, from the older days of my life. And, uh, I'm sure it brings up a lot of anxiety in the people listening. I have a best friend. He was the best man in my wedding. I called him, I think yesterday or the day before just to talk to him, catch up. And he sounded really down. I was like, what's going on, man? He's like, man, I got, I got laid off today. And they're going through some financial struggles with where they live, uh, with their house. And they're doing other things, personal things that require a lot of money. And they're just like, he was like shell-shocked. It was like talking to someone who was just in a car accident. And he was just in shock. And then anything I told him kind of went in one ear and out the other. He was like a zombie almost. And it just breaks my heart to hear something like that. And that just happened a couple of days ago. Yeah, we're taught from a young age that job security exists. And there used to be job security in Japan. They used to have a lifetime job. In Japan, you could get a job for one of the large companies and you would have the job for life. Japan hasn't had that for about 40 years. And somehow in America, we think we have that when no company in America has ever had that. The most important lesson you can learn is that whatever your boss is paying you is less than your worth or the company wouldn't be profitable. Companies can only be profitable if you generate more than they pay you. That's the game they play. The boss wants to keep you in between hope and fear. Fear of getting fired and hope of a raise. That's the perfect place to keep an employee in a perpetual state of basically agitation, right? Like you're constantly afraid, hopeful, afraid, hopeful. It's like a nightmare description, but that's really what it, most jobs are. 
every single person wants a raise, but is afraid if they ask for a raise, they'll get fired. And that's what your boss wants. That's the perfect environment for them. And we have this false anxiety or this false belief we have a sense of security. But in fact, if you have a single revenue stream, you're really in a spaceship with no backup, right? Every spaceship has like three backups. If this engine breaks, then there's a backup engine, there's a backup wire, there's a backup for the backup, a backup for the backup. But you're out there on a limb and there is no backup because you have a single revenue stream. I just had something really bad happen in my business this week. My main revenue stream, now there's a massive problem with it. Okay, something happened with a business partner that I don't want to get into. But the important thing is that I didn't lose the majority of my income. I just lost the largest generator. And I had a meeting with my wife. I said, babe, it's going to take me three to four weeks to replace this revenue stream. And we're and the same thing, I still had a, like, a solid day. Like I still made a lot of money that day for my other project and other things are in place. I was like, we're going to have a slow couple of weeks. That's the difference is that I said, I might have to pivot, like have to take another client on or do a second project to fill in this gap. That's really all that it takes because of my position. And that's because I went through that vulnerability before. The danger of a single job is that you have a single point of failure, which is that you have one source of your income stream. So you either have zero or a hundred percent of your income. I often teach people, I always say, the first thing you should do is switch and try and get 10 clients. Do the exact same job for 10 people instead of one. So that way, if someone fires you, you lose 10% of your income. And if you have a person you're working for that you hate, you can fire them and still make 90% of your income. Imagine if your friend, instead of saying, I lost 100% of my income, goes, oh, I lost 90% of my income. It's such a different conversation. And that's really the most, the first and most important lesson is that you have multiple income streams, which means you can't lose them all at once. I've been doing this for more than making money online since 2007, but full-time since 2010. And I've lost a lot of businesses. A lot of things don't work anymore. Things change. Business models move away. A lot of things that people were doing 10 years ago online, we don't do anymore. And I've never been able to go work for someone else who thought about doing that because I have never lost 100% of my income from a project no longer working. And that's the m- most important thing. It's the same thing like with real estate. You don't want to... The lesson I learned about real estate is that you look at the downside. Like You never want to go in on a deal that, that if that deal fails, it, it can devastate you. That's how most people get kicked out of real estate, right? They only look at the upside and they get emotionally attached to a deal and they don't look at the downside. The secret to real estate, and I learned this from a billionaire I interviewed for a project, which is like, look at the downside. He goes, never do a deal where the downside can devastate you. Even if the upside is massive, you look at the downside and it's better to have 10 properties, right? That are each cost you $100,000 than one that costs you a million. Because if something happens at house, and what, all it takes is one bad tenant. I had a friend, he had one rental property, rented it to people who cooked spi- food so spicy, it blew out the HVAC to the entire building. And so the building sued him as the apartment owner. <laughs> like, I didn't know that was a possibility, but it literally destroyed the heating and air conditioning for the entire building. And so people that were paying him, I don't know, $1,000, $2,000 a month in rent ended up costing him hundreds of thousands of dollars because the entire building, and of course, everyone in the building hates you because the whole building sued him. So right. it's that's a, still a single point of vulnerability. I, I tell people, and then it's important to think about, well, what does diversification mean? Because sometimes people jump into it too soon. Oh, I'm making $100 a month. You don't need 10 clients each paying you 10. It's That's too soon. But you always want to think about having multiple revenue streams. I had a meeting this week with someone and they were like, well, we have one thing that works and we only want to focus on that. And I was like, that's how businesses die. I said, you have one thing. And if anything changes about that, then you can lose your entire business. And we see that there's a lot of businesses that are like, 
they get really popular and then they flame out because they don't have a secondary revenue stream. Like Google owns hundreds of different things. Facebook owns hundreds of different things. So you want to have at least a couple of products or a couple of ways of making revenue because unexpected things will happen. How many businesses disappeared during that pandemic and all these lockdowns? No one would expect that. It's just knowing there's something unexpected. But if you have multiple revenue streams, if you're not just in the restaurant business, but you also have other different types of things, well, then you can survive. Yeah, exactly. So when you back when you got fired, that I'm assuming you had that one revenue stream, but you had talked about getting uh, a car loan, just getting into an apartment. So you have the expenses aren't going away. You just signed up for all these expenses. And I think from reading your bio, you were in a new city too, where you didn't really know many people. So take me along the day you got fired what your mindset was, where you were at mentally and what you started to do to change things. So it was a blizzard and I just, as in Tennessee as a blizzard, I just bought a convertible, like the current. So I'm driving to work. I'm like, man, I'm such a good employee. I'm not calling in. I'm not making excuses. I'm coming in, even though I'm slipping and sliding. I go in and they're like, Hey, some stuff happened and we're probably gonna, you know, they, when bigger companies, they do like an investigation and stuff. And it was all, none of it was true. None of it matters, but they just were like, oh, we heard you wrote a book. And I said, hasn't every single person here written a book? I was like, this is, I knew, like, I could have fought and gone to court and I would have won because you can't fire a teacher for writing books. That's insane since every single college professor writes books. But they just wanted to get rid of me. And I was driving home in the blizzard. I go, this would be, if I crash now, it's going to be so ironic. I can't deal with it. So fortunately, that didn't happen. I make it home. Um, and the whole way home, I'm thinking, I never want someone to have this much power over me again. Like my driving force, the reason my business is called Serve No Master is because I don't want someone else to get to decide if my kids can eat, if my wife can have surgery, if she's sick, if my if my kids can go to the school they want to go to, if my kids can play guitar, which means I have to pay for guitar lessons, whatever those things are whether the necessities or desires, I never want my kids or my family to be hurt by someone else. Like if things, so that was my driving force. That was my motivation. That's what drove everything. So I, um, it's hard to get perfect with the timeline. It's a little bit fuzzy in my memory, exactly what happened, but I did, I basically was like, I gotta start a business that makes money fast. And I was playing around with online stuff already, you know, making like dollar a month or something like nothing working. And I said, I got to make this work because what I could do is go and find another job of the same kind of job that actually had been offered another job at another university that was five minutes away from that one. I could have gone there and probably gotten hired immediately, but I I didn't want to go back. I was like, I'll be in the exact same vulnerability. So I started looking online and I don't exactly know how this happened, but I started getting emails about a program. It's very expensive. It was $3,000, but it would teach you how to sell video services to local businesses. And it, the cart was closing at midnight on Saturday. I thought about it all week. I was so stressed out. And I think 11.52, 11.53 Saturday night, I bought it on a six pay. So I had to pay $500 a month for six months. I had $500 left on my credit card. I think I had a $2,000 limit. So I had already spent $1,500, whatever. I had $500 left. I spent that, maxed out the credit card, knowing I would have to make $500, pay that on the credit card each month before that date. And I put up a website that was, I'm going to say terrible. It was so bad. It was black background with blue writing. I don't know how anyone could read it. Very basic. And I started putting ads up on Craigslist. 
and I got my, my first client Thursday. So I got my first check for $200. I was trying to get $500 a month, but I hit 200. I'll take it for, um, it's a really great client, you know, the, like was willing to give me a shot, but also I was also, she got a massive discount and I did a lot of really good work for her. And from there, I just began to get more and more clients. And so I went from, um, I think I replaced my income in three or four months. So I was making a couple thousand dollars a month, three or $4,000 a month within a few months. And, you know, I ended up losing the apartment. I moved out of the apartment because my roommate moved out. Like it wasn't working out. And, um, and I was living in my mom's basement. And I said, if I turn 30 in my mom's basement, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I told my mom yeah. that. She goes, well, that's not a cool story. And uh, November was my birthday that year. So I got fired in January. November, I moved. Maybe I got fired in February. Maybe it was the first week in February. I think it was February 10th. I'm trying to think exactly. I think I got fired February 10th. Right before Valentine's Day, perfect. I decide, um, you know, I can't do this. And then I went to Hawaii for the entire month of November. I spent an entire month in Hawaii at my friend's place, like just having an, an amazing adventure, still running my business online, doing all of those things. And it was the exact opposite, right? I got out of my mom's basement for that month. I was like, I'm not having the birthday here. I ended up building my business from there, but it came from a place of not wanting to be vulnerable anymore and being able to do, willing to do whatever it takes. Wanted to live in my mom's basement. Then from there, I moved to my friend's couch in a studio apartment in Florida. So I slept like two feet away from his feet. And like at that time, I was like, I'll do anything to learn. I learned so much from him. And like when he would go on vacation or travel, I was like, oh, I get to sleep on the bed. Like yeah. that's what it was like special for me for a year and a half. A lot of people talk about, oh, you're an overnight success. Every overnight success you meet, like, yeah, I've been practicing for 10 years. I'm an overnight success if you don't count the rest of my life. It's right, like, oh, right. this band is an overnight success. That's their fifth album. So much of that, we, he, we see the success, but we don't see the suffering because we don't want to do that when we're learning. A lot of people, when they go, I want to start an online business, I want to get in real estate. Guess what? You got to, there's some grind along the way. Like people will go to university for four years to get a job they hate, but they won't watch 16 hours of an online course about real estate or investing or building a business, they'll watch the first two videos and go, this is too hard to quit. It's like, that's, you could watch it in two days of work. And we see that over and over again as course creators. People don't, they, the problem is that to get people to buy, you have to make it sound easy, but for, to get it to work, it has to actually be hard. And that's the real challenge of teaching people stuff is that a lot of people want it to be so, so easy. And when there's any effort involved, then they go back to the job they hate anyways. And that's really like, that's like a tragedy in my opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I have completely changed my life personally in the last year. And the way I was able to do it is I finally got disciplined enough to take action every day. I wrote a book in 100 days. Well, that required me to write every day, but not only write every day, do research for the book. I even researched how to write a book. There's I believe you, you have something about that uh, in one of your books of, of how to write a book. Um, so it was not easy. I was grinding day in and day out. But the great thing about doing all of those things, learning new skills, putting in the time, the effort, that goes with you. So like we're talking about revenue streams and multiple revenue streams. If I lost everything today and I went bankrupt, it would hurt. But at the same time, I still have my brain. I still have me and my skills and everything I've learned up into this point. And so building that back up, that's not never going to be a problem. But 
to your point, you got to put in the time, the effort, the late nights, the early mornings that nobody's seen. And that's where the real work happens. Yeah. A lot of people aspire to work four hours a week because of that book, which is a lie. He doesn't work four hours a week. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember I bought that book right at this time and I was buying it from a physical bookstore and I was like, kind of embarrassed. Right. And the guy behind, or there was a guy or the girl, I can't remember the checkout person was like, Oh, that book's amazing. I read it. I go, and I didn't say this. My thought was, then why are you here? If the book works, why are you here? And there was some, some stuff in the book works and some doesn't, but it's the mindset. And a lot of people, listen, I don't deserve my life. I live in a house. I never thought I'd be in a house this big. I saw my wife about this the other day because we started off when we were living together in a one bedroom apartment or a studio apartment even, right? Because it was just the two of us. We didn't need more space. We're almost never at home. And now this house has six bedrooms, four bathrooms. We have a pool. We live on the beach, on a tropical island where people come on vacation. We live on vacation island. And I don't deserve it. I never thought I would live in a house this nice, right? We have room. I said to my wife the other day, I was like, is there a room in this house you haven't been to in like three months? And she was like, there's a room I haven't been in six months. Like that's how crazy it is, how big our house is. We have four kids. So the house is full, but we, um, people see that and they think, oh, Jonathan just is surfing a wave every day, right? He doesn't work hard or, you know, they don't know that I work seven days a week. It's midnight here. I'm on the call with you and I'm going to be working for another six or seven hours. I work seven days a week. My dad one time said to me, he goes, oh, you got to be careful. You don't want to work more than six and a half days a week. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely a second generation workaholic. If that's the advice, right? Like take off right. half a day a week. And a lot of people, they see the front of house or they see the success part and not the effort part. I'm constantly working. And it's exactly that. The secret to my success is not that I'm a genius, not that I have great ideas or not that everything is perfect or that nothing ever fails. Things I built or work on failed 90% of the time. The difference is that I put in the work every day. I work seven days a week and I'm constantly thinking about the next revenue stream, the next iteration of my business, protecting myself from different vulnerabilities. If this doesn't work, what am I going to do next? I'm always thinking about the next thing, right? Like things are going okay for me right now. I'm going through tons of training. I just bought a new course. I'm trying to learn all of this stuff about AI because that seems like it's going to be the next iteration. So I have to learn that and start bringing that into my business. I don't need it now, but I might need it in six months or in two years, but it's the daily part. And that's what's hard for a lot of people. It's the reason it's hard to lose weight. It's the reason it's hard to anything where the goal's really far away. Like if I say to you, Hey, you'll be a millionaire in two years. That's really, really hard to feel. And that's why a lot of people quit along the way. That's what's happened to me this week. So we've made a really bad business decision that I was working with and said, guys, it's still early days. We've only been working for six months and you've already made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm like, Oh, we haven't made a million yet. That's the mindset that some people have. Like they get lost in that, you know? We'll see what happens to that business. But that's the kind of thing that happens is that people only look at the short term and they're not able to look at the long term and see the long term vision. And that's why a lot of people give up. Like you have to do work 100 hour weeks for the first year or two of whatever business you start. It's like you give up a 40 hour week, (laughs) work week, working for someone else to start 100 hour work week, working for yourself at first. And this is not to say like, I have a great life. Like I was working today by the pool. That's awesome. Like I'm so lucky that I have those things. But I started off in my mom's basement and then my friend's couch in a studio apartment. And I remember three years in business, I was finally able to rent a two, a two bedroom apartment with him, have my own bedroom. That was amazing. Like that was a big success for me. He's like, wow, I have my own bed. No longer sleeping on a couch. But 
people, I, I don't, I don't know if I could do that now. Like now that I'm in my forties, like going and living on a couch again would be tough, but you have to be willing to do the hard part. And a lot yeah. of people only see and they go, Oh, Jonathan never has it hard. That's why it's hard to like work with friends. Cause they don't say, no, I'm working all the time. Like as much as I'm talking to you right now and I'm engaged in this conversation, I'm very aware that I saw a message from a potential lead for a really good project right before this call. Like I saw right. that message and that's on my mind. I'm like, hope they reply. Like that kind of thing is still in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about the meeting I have after this. Those things are all still there. It just, it's hard because people want to see the front of house. They want to see what's on stage. They want to see the success and the lights and the beautiful wife and the beautiful kids and the beautiful house. That's why like, everyone's always posting those videos of cars where the do side doors go up and down. Everyone wants gold wing doors car, whether it's a Lamborghini or whatever. Like that's what people look at and they never look at, well, how do you get there? What does it take? Or what are the payments on a car like that? Like what's the actual process? And that's where people get stuck. And that's what I try and help people see is like, yeah, you're working, but at least it's something you love and it's an asset you own, whether you're going to pass it on to your kids. I don't know if my kids want to do what I do, but, or you can sell it or it's something that you have possession of. It's high risk, but it's also high reward. It's the I only feel, job. I, I feel like most people look at things in life of what do I need to give up for this? So working hard, I need to give up my social life. I need to give up going out at night. I need to give up TV. But if you focus on only what you're giving up, you're not focused on what you're going to be getting out of it. The good feeling of accomplishing a project, the good feeling of doing something that's meaningful to you that adds value to somebody else. And I think when people, if you change your mindset and focus on not what am I losing, but what am I gaining from this? I think just that small shift in perspective is super powerful because you, I can tell you work a lot, a lot of hours, but at the same time, are you miserable like you were when you were working at the university? Like, no, I'm so lucky that I love what I do. It's, but I hate, there's this saying like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I hate people who say that. I think that's one of the sayings I hate the most. Yeah. I love what I do, but I still work. <laughs> it's still hard. I still have to grind and have challenges and ups and downs and good days and bad days and put in the hours. It's still work. Like if I never worked a day in my life, I would never be in this office again. <laughs> like I would never be in this room again. I would never turn the computer on again. I would just hang out by the pool drinking champagne with my wife, I guess. Like, I don't know, but that's not working. But a, that sayings like that are why people get lost. They think, oh, it's supposed to be so easy if you're doing a level. This isn't easy. It must not be what I'm meant to be doing. But there's an element of sacrifice. And you do have to give up something in order to get something later. But you're sacrificing now for something great later. That's the trade-off. Is that like, yeah, I had two years that really stank. When I was in my mom, I didn't date anyone when I was living in my mom's basement. Not a single date for an entire year. Okay. Then living on my friend's couch. Hey, want to come want to come see the couch in the studio apartment? <laughs> No, I'm good. And yeah. It wasn't even like a nice couch. It was like one of those holiday wicker couches. So it's like thin cushions on wicker. Really, oh, even worse than a normal romantic couch for another year and a half. So like two and a half years, I really, my dating life went from like awesome to non-existent. And there are sacrifices along the way. And that's just the truth that you have to put in time or effort and money and you're going to make mistakes and things are not going to work and you're going to lose money on some stuff and then other things will work. But it's not, 
It's never as easy as you want it to be, but it's never as hard as it could be. Like there can be, Correct. there's really hard jobs out there. A lot of people have these really terrible jobs and, but they trust them so much that they're just stuck. And that's really unfortunate. I've seen it even with people who have their own business. They go, this is working. I go, yeah, but every month you make less money. It will be harder to start something. That happened to a friend of mine for 10 years. He lost money every single month. He made a little bit less <laughs> moving to smaller apartment, less and less money, but he wouldn't shift to another business model. And that's, we can get stuck even as entrepreneurs, but it is that willingness to do something hard or to do something uncomfortable or to go outside your comfort zone. I had this uh, friend of mine, when I was living in Florida. He started off at a full-time job, two kids. He would come home from work every day, hang out with his kids. After they go to bed, he would go in the garage and work for two to three hours. I think he would work until 2 a.m. every night for one or two years before his business really picked up. It took him that long. So he didn't have to give up time with the kids. He just gave up sleep. We have to give up something. And they're absolutely right about that. And most people don't want to give it up. I remember when I was younger, I would watch, I watched everything on television. So I would have something to talk to people about. It's like so idiotic now when I look back at it that we think, oh, I have to be aware of what's happening in culture so that I can be like connected to culture and talk to people. I can't finish a movie. Like it's so rare for me to see. I have to watch a movie in two sittings. I very, very rarely watch TV shows. And I have so little engagement with that part. And it doesn't matter. It never comes up. People never talk to me about television shows or movies. Like that's not thing adults really do very much. So we're not giving up that much. We're giving up basically wasted time. It's like, oh, instead of watching television, you can watch training videos. Now I get it. Listen, I struggle to watch training stuff now. It's really hard for me too. So I get it. I don't like sitting still, but you have to do it. Sometimes you just have to put in a little bit of that time. And a lot of people... One of the first things I said, I was like, hey, did you know that for every two hours of TV, you're watching 30 minutes of commercials? If you just stop watching commercials, you can still watch TV. Just record it, watch it the next day without commercials, and you can spend 30 hours, 30 minutes a day on your business. That's two and a half hours a week just by giving up commercials. Or what do you do when you're in the bathroom? What do you look at on your phone? What if you just looked at something educational instead of something silly? That's another yeah. couple hours a week. So, or what about on the drive to work, on the drive home? I have people who've been through my programs who've dictated their entire book driving to and from work because they use that time effectively. It's these, you don't even have to give up the good stuff. You can give up the bad stuff, give up the traffic. Like one of the best things about my life is no traffic. I remember I used to drive. I've had jobs where I've driven like 30 minutes or an hour to and from work each day. So just by working from home, I get an extra couple of hours a week, five to 10 hours back, just because I don't drive. I can roll out of bed. My bed is, I'm going to, not good at distances. I'm going to say 15 feet just across the hall in another room. I guess it's 15 or 20 feet away. That's how far I have to walk to work. I never have to worry about traffic. I have to worry about car. I don't own a car. Don't need one. I walk everywhere. I live on a small island. Like it's people here who buy a car. I go, where are you going to go? You can circle the island in 15 minutes. Like a really silly. So that's the things we can give up are usually the things we hate. Most people don't want to be in traffic. I went to university when I went to college in Virginia. And I remember people who would drive from Richmond, Virginia to Washington, DC to work every day. They drive two hours there and two hours back. And if there's traffic, it'd be even longer. Four hours a day. (laughs) Four hours a day times five days a week. That's 20 hours. That's literally a part-time job. You're spending a part-time job just in your car. Losing money, gas mileage, all that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And you're working for someone who probably hates you. It's so... Yeah, you have to sacrifice stuff. 
there's going to be along the way sacrificing things you like, but it doesn't have to be everything. And you can kind of choose, oh, I'm going to give up going out or I'm going to give up partying or no, I'm just going to give up TV. I'm going to still go out. I never gave up going out. I still went out all the time because I said, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to watch TV anymore. Like we make these decisions along the way. This is what I'm going to do, not this. I'm going to invest in a new computer so I can do more work and be more effective. Like I was thinking about that today. Computers, I use a Mac and now they're so expensive each time you want to upgrade. Now, instead of $1,000, it's $5,000. And I'm always thinking, how much faster will this make me? Is it worth it? Right? right? Can I declutter my desk more and be more efficient? These are things I think about. I invested last year. I spent a lot of money in my desk and building this office out. I love... Like setting up the lights and playing around with all the lights behind me. I probably spent 30 minutes today going, what's the perfect settings for each of these lights? That's something I enjoy doing. I invested in that. So I enjoy being in my office so that it could be fun for me. Everything about every decoration I chose and put together with my wife. And that's part of my process is, so investment, you look at, is there the ROI from it? Will this make me faster? Can I do better work? This is the first up and down desk I've ever had. So now I can stand when I'm talking to you because it makes me more engaged. And then I can sit down while I'm doing other projects and it's also healthier, all those things. But that's kind of how I approach every part of the business is giving up time or giving up money or giving up a resource or what do you get back from it? Mm -hmm. And that really will change your mindset is because if you just think about what you're giving up and not what you're getting for it, then it's really tough. And the problem is that if you're starting out, it's a risk. Maybe you'll fail. A lot of people start their own businesses and fail. A lot of people come in with really bad ideas. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard a lot of them too. Like people want to get into real estate and they have an idea and you go, well, that's a terrible idea, right? That's a really, they go, I'm going to put everything I have into that the house. They buy them over their number, right? They do their first purchase. They go, oh, my budget's 200,000. They buy a house for 240. Now they don't have money to renovate or improve it. And they're all in. Like, and now they're stressed out. Like they, that's the thing. They went emotional. That happens. Or you decide you give an online business. You're going to write a book. I had somebody who wrote a book. And he, he wrote a book, I'll never forget this, about how to quit vaping in 2017. I go, whoa. I said, oh, I, where did you do the research? I said, what study found out there's people that want to quit vaping? Because I've never met one of those. Everyone I know was trying to switch to vaping. And I was smoking yeah. at the time. I think I just quit smoking when he reached out to me. I didn't go to vaping. I went to no smoking anything at all. I was like, I had to go cold turkey because I, I don't see... I started smoking because it looks cool. I don't want to vape. It doesn't look cool to me. Like right, it's not a replacement. Right. <laughs> like to me, it has to be something cool to replace it. And um, he was, I was like, this is amazing. Show me this research. He goes, what research? And I said, oh, wait, you wrote a book about how to quit vaping and you have no idea if anyone wants to quit vaping. Now he may turn out to be a genius in 20 years if it turns out vaping kills everyone, right? He was like the head of the curve. It'll be too late yeah. for him, right? It'll be far too late. He missed his opportunity. But it was very interesting to me that how much people have an idea and never check to see if it's a good idea. And I'm guilty of this. I've had terrible ideas. Everyone goes, John, that's a terrible idea. I go, no, no, I think I can do it different than everyone else did it. I'm always wrong. So we sometimes get caught up in our own idea, but you have to see it as part of the process. How many people, I think it's like five or six presidents lost an election and then became a president later on. And that's the biggest job in the land, right? Same thing for most businesses. A lot of entrepreneurs have been how many entrepreneurs talk about the story about when they went bankrupt? I was a millionaire, then bankrupt, then a millionaire, then bankrupt, then went to jail, then a millionaire again. I worked on a project where someone did that happened to him last year. So it's not the failing. You're going to fail, right? I had a big fail this week. Like, I'm being, I haven't told anyone about this. Your first person I've told about this stank, stinks. It was going to be huge. It was going to be a really big business. And they just pulled their rug out from under these partners I was working with, started messing around yeah. and go, well, this, you just killed our business. Yeah. Now, I'll still build something really great without them, but. 
it happens. And I can either I could go, you know what? Not doing this anymore. I could get a job right now. I could reach out to one of my friends and say, hey, I want to work for you. $250,000 a year. I'd have no expenses, pure profit. And I probably three or four people would hire me that I could think of off the top of my head. God, but I could never work for someone else. Never. Yeah. My friend, no. I was doing millions of dollars a month. And I was like, nah, I can't do it. I can't even be a number two. Not, not once really you have that, that taste, that taste of freedom. Because yeah, you, you, you said it earlier, you trade in a 40 hour a week job for a hundred hour a week and oh wait, you're getting paid a whole hell of a lot less. Why, why do we do it? We do it because we have the freedom to make our own decisions, to carve the path in our life, whatever that looks like. But like you said earlier, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of grind when people are sleeping, when people are going out that's when you're making your sacrifices. Because if we're making hard choices now, we're going to have an easier life later. But if we're making easy choices now, we're going to have a harder life later. Um, I just want to take a quick second to let all the listeners know that if you want to find anything and everything about Jonathan, his services and his products, go to his website. It is servenomaster.com. Follow him on social media, specifically TikTok at Island Ronin. Now, doing my research on you and from what you've been talking about, multiple revenue streams, your website looks like essentially everything you've done in your life downloaded into simple processes, simple videos, books, there is so much information on your website. Please, I guess, just walk me and the audience through how you put that together. Are these different businesses that you've done and now you're sharing that knowledge? I guess, tell us more about your services and your products. Yeah, I have this mindset. The philosophy I believe in is there's three phases to building your online business. In phase one, you're trying to build your runway, which is replace your main income. So, and runway can be defined either in time or money. Like sometimes people, they lose their job, they get a severance. They go, I could spend 18 months trying to build a business. They have 18 months of runway, right? Or sometimes they go, oh, I've got this much money coming in every month. I have enough money to fund the business for this many months. So either way, I, first thing I say is, okay, you work at eight hours a day, whatever you're making, how can we make that in four hours a day? Okay, how can we make it in two? And now you have six hours a day to put into your business. So the first, usually phase one is a service. It's selling an asset or leveraging something that's like a time-based. So for me, it's ghostwriting. Um, I get paid a lot of money to write books for other people. And it's actually a conversation I have my wife with this week. I said, you know, I could just do this. I could write three books a year and it would cover our entire lifestyle. We're just having this conversation about it. I was like, maybe that's just what I'll do. Have a website, I have it built out around it. I have a domain about years ago. And I was like, maybe that's just what I'll do. It's just this one thing will become my path. And we were kind of talking about that because that's always... But then after a while, sometimes you work on a project, I don't want to write for anyone ever again. Like that's what I said to myself a year ago. So you have these ups and downs with projects. You have good ones or bad ones. And so you want to have something that you can always sell for fast money. And when I say that, I mean, it's something we get paid at the start of a project, not the end. So for example, you wrote a book you didn't make any money until the book was for sale, right? Like you don't make any money until you sell it. So it's after the book is written. Maybe you do pre-sales or whatever, but you don't make money day one. You don't make the big money. Nope. Whereas if someone hires me to write their book, they pay me at the start. That's what I mean when I say find something where you can get paid up front. 
Yep. Yeah, my my editor got paid up front. Exactly. And you then use that whenever you need an injection of cash. Whenever I need an infusion of cash, someone needs surgery, there's a medical emergency, I can take a job like that and it brings in big money and it covers whatever we need to do. That's the one thing. So that's the first thing you want to build out. And it can be anything. You want to look at stuff you own, stuff you have. Maybe you can do lessons. Maybe you could do training. Maybe you could rent out part of your house. Maybe you rent out your car on tour or one of those things. There's all these assets you have that you haven't thought about. You go, how can I leverage what I have? What's the most valuable thing I have? And ideally, it's not yourself. Like if you can, it's better to rent out your car than to rent out your house. So you have to go somewhere else. But that's even if it's yourself, I still rent out myself. That's what I do. But you wanted to find something like that where people will pay you to do it. That's what I did. When I want to learn search engine optimization, I had a bunch of people hire me to do SEO for them. And I used that money to buy courses and software. I said, oh, I'm going to go learn how to do it now. Like, so the, I, they paid for my education. That's awesome. <laughs> and I encourage everyone to do that. If you want to learn TikTok, buy my course or buy someone else's course on TikTok, but get a client to pay you. Get someone to pay you to run their TikTok and you learn on their account. And that's how you can get paid to learn. I'm a big believer in that. So that's really phase one is where you're just trying to replace your income or make enough money to cover whatever lifestyle you want. Whether you need $3,000 a month or $10,000 a month, whatever your number is, maybe it's 20 or 50. That's phase one. That's the runway phase. So that's really what I teach on my website is different ways to find your runway. Whether it's... I've had people go through my program and they become voiceover artists. So they're doing narration for book after book after book for clients. And they mm -hmm. build up a reputation there or they start blogging. I'm a big believer in writing. Writing is a huge opportunity right now. And there's more need than there is, like there's more demand than there is supply of writers. So it's really a seller's market. So that's a really fast way to get to $100 an hour. Um, so I teach different things like that, like different methods where you can deliver a service and learn something along the way. Like you're writing blog posts for someone else and then you can build your own blog. You edit someone else's podcast, now you can run your own podcast. So whatever the thing is, I always say, is it something you can then get paid to learn and then get paid to do even more and use it to build your own business, right? Like, oh, I'm going to spend a year run, managing your podcast, running your podcast, getting you guests, doing everything. And you're after that, I'll launch my own podcast. Fine, right? You get paid to learn. That's a great way to do it. The second phase is moving from active to passive income. So I have a membership site. I have products that sell all the time. I have emails that go out automatically, they generate revenue. So whether I'm asleep or awake, alive or dead, that revenue comes in. That's passive revenue. Passive revenue is revenue that comes in when you do nothing. Or maybe you just send one email a day, it's not so hard. So you want to move, okay, right? I'm writing books for other people. Then I moved into, I'll write my own books. I make less money, right? I don't make as much money per day or per book, but over time, it catches up. So you start to look at the long view. That's phase two where you're replacing that income from active to passive. And then phase three is really where you start unlocking your dreams. Like, what's my dream life? What do I spend all my time doing? And this might mean that you keep growing that business, you build a second business, that you double down on it, or you start moving from that into investing. I love the three phases. So let me know if I, if I get this right. Phase one, you call the runway. That's active money. That's you either learning a skill to make money and it could be on the job training or it's a skill you already have. Phase two is essentially take that active and let's make it passive. So, you know, I'm in real estate. That's my definition of a lot of passive income. I wrote a book this year. That's going to become passive income because the book's been published and it's, it's a done deal. And then the third phase you talked about, can you jump back into that real quick? Yeah. So the, the third phase is like, so runway, 
takeoff and then staying at flight. Okay. So the third phase is really about maintaining that business, building something. It can be building a legacy, it can be building a business that your kids can take over. And it can be really just doing whatever you want. It's kind of like living your dream life. But a part of it is maintaining. It's like you still have to make sure the plane is still working. You still have to kind of check in on things. And you have to sometimes adapt, right? Things that were huge five or 10 years ago don't happen anymore. So it's those are all part of the process. Like I'm really big on TikTok right now, but TikTok might get shut down. It could right. disappear next month. Like Vine, everyone, people were huge on Vine and then Vine was gone. So social media changes, the way we interact with the internet changes. I was watching this really interesting video about why myspace died because i was huge on myspace i was crushing it on myspace i remember myspace like you picked your top eight friends so people would know where they were in position like i remember that part of it every band had a myspace page not a website and i was very interested in why myspace died for me it was when my i remember when my pay my profile was more than 50 percent ads i go i'm out of here it's yeah. more ads than not ads i'm done with this and it's a very interesting the rest of it's an interesting story but i also remember nobody on myspace was mean like I never heard of a MySpace bully. I never heard of any of that shenanigans. Like that happens all over social media now, right? Like I never had that. I got into MySpace in college. I just don't remember a lot of horrible things happening to people on MySpace. Right. And you don't hear a lot of those stories where now it's constant bad stuff, right? It was yeah. like a friendly place where people would like support each other and listen to each other's bands. And I remember being like a really positive environment, which you don't hear about on online very much anymore, but it's gone, right? Like things come and go. So part of being able to maintain your business is being able to adapt. Right now, there's a huge shift into AI and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't, right? Like maybe it's going to turn out it's not going to work. Kind of like 10 years ago, everyone's like, all TVs are going to be 3D. Like I'm going to sit with my kids. We're each going to wear a pair of glasses so we can't see each other and watch a 3D movie. Like, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I remember every movie was 3D for a while. Now no movies are 3D. So I feel bad for all the people that bought a 3D TV. You know, I saw there's a new TV that came out today that you can stick on a window. You stick it on your window with suction cups. And I said, oh, that seems like a bad idea. And they're like, no, no, the suction cups are powered by electricity, except for the TV is powered by a battery. You have to, the battery is supposed to last 30 days. What happens on day 31? There goes your $3,000 TV and probably your window. <laughs> it's oh like, goodness. it's such a bad idea. And that like, maybe I'll maybe it will turn out I'm totally wrong and everyone will switch to suction cup televisions. <laughs> I'm also rarely I very very rarely meet people that go yeah I want to block the window with the TV. Like I very rarely right. hear people say that like like uh, where do you want the TV? Uh, block the sun. Yeah, <laughs> I want a window I can't open anymore. But there's all these bad ideas out there, and sometimes big companies double down on them. They yeah. go hard on that. What happened? Laserdisc. Everyone every movie was on Laserdisc. Hey, guess what? I don't want to watch a movie. I have to flip over in the middle. Right. Like right. someone's like, why did laser just die? I'm like, that's why I died in the middle of a movie, right? Right in the middle of the best fight scene. I got to flip it like a, a vinyl record. At least a vinyl record doesn't do it mid song. So sometimes we'll get a technology or a thing will just stop working through no fault of your own. And that's why I believe in multiple revenue streams. That's why I believe in multiple businesses. That's why I believe in multiple projects. You might make a little bit more money with a single project, but you then are back to the same vulnerability. Yeah. My, yeah exactly. I had an SEO company for a couple of years. Then it, Google made SEO really, really hard. And I had to go out. I went out of business. I remember telling all my clients, I was like, guys, I'm not, you got to find someone else. I can't keep up because it's not what I want to do full time. It's not my passion. And I can't put up. updates went from once a year to once every six months, every three months. And now they're once a month. I don't want to do that. And I'm not capable of doing it. There's plenty of people who are. So I didn't lose 
I lost probably 15% of my income when that happened, when I lost all my clients. That's the position you want to be in. So it always goes back to that protecting yourself from vulnerability. As Like I said at the very beginning, when you look at a real estate deal, you look at the downside, not the upside. You always want to look at your vulnerabilities and the number of people who never look at their vulnerabilities until it's too late. How many people in 2008 got a big surprise? Right? right. Yeah. So many people. How many people in the last two years found out, hey, maybe the government's going to shut down your business. Right? No one, you never thought that was not something I ever thought might happen. And it happened to so many people. So there's always the unexpected. And that's why, even if you have a thriving business, I'm like, hey, build out some other revenue streams, have a backup plan because you never know when something's going to happen. You're going to need that emergency injection of cash. And like a lot of small businesses fail, not always because they're a bad idea. Just like a lot of people lose their jobs, it's not their fault. I feel like most people who get fired it's during a downsizing, right? Like all these companies, the CEO has an idea. Like I always, I've always heard this thing that if you go into CEO's office and you see a bunch of private plane, like statues around the room, do not invest in that company. <laughs> like you don't want someone who's like passionate about private, because private planes are very bad investment. Like they're yeah. very expensive. You don't get the money back. It's like a, just a real big money pit. I get it. Like riding a plane, I'm sure it's awesome to ride private all the time, but it's not where you want to put your money. That's the thing you want to think about is something can happen. That's not your fault. The economy can change. There can be an economic shift. There can be something that changes in the food supply. And sometimes people think there's really great ideas. Like all those companies that are making fake meat, they're all so upside down right now. It turns out people don't want it. Like it might be a great product. Who knows? I don't know. We don't have it where I live. I've never experienced it. But what can seem like the darling of 2020 is the like the unloved stepchild of 2022. All these businesses that exploded during the pandemic couldn't, didn't know how to maintain it afterwards, right? Like I remember I was huge on Clubhouse during the pandemic. And Clubhouse, someone, they all, there was a buy offer for billions of dollars and they said, no. Now Clubhouse is worth like, I don't know, $14. Because guess what? People only want that type of connection where they're not allowed to leave the house. Once you can leave your house, like, why would I sit on the phone and talk to people all day when I can walk outside if I want to talk to someone and like experience life? So there are businesses that only work in a downturn and businesses that don't work in a downturn. And that's why you want to have a bit of diversification. So that's what phase three is really about. Once you have enough money that you're not scared anymore, that you've, the fear is gone, then it's the next phases. And that's really why you have to pay attention. You can't ever take your eyes off everything. So like how many musicians or actors, they make a ton of money, then a sibling steals it all or yeah. their money manager takes everything because they took their eyes off it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, I think that three-step approach is absolutely phenomenal. For those listening, check out his website. It is absolutely incredible. And it kind of has like a comic book theme to me, which speaks to my heart and uh, the superhero part of this podcast. So go to servenomaster.com. And even if you have a W-2 right now and you have a day-to-day job, that doesn't mean you don't have to be an Uber driver to get a side hustle going on or start working something else that you might be more passionate about and make that transition. That's a definite possibility. But you got to start opening up your mind and your beliefs that you can bring in revenue. You can build other businesses and other parts of your life so that, yeah, you're ultimately not putting what they say, put all your chickens into one basket, eggs in one basket, whatever. So check out his website. It's absolutely phenomenal. Follow him on social media. 
you are not going to regret it because from one business owner to, to the other, I can tell that you have been up and down. You have had a lot of failures, a lot of successes, but you're keep pushing forward and your life today is just a result of the time, the commitment and everything you've put into your life. And anybody can reach that. Yeah, absolutely. It's about not giving up. When things are going good, you keep working. When things are going bad, you keep working. That's how you survive. That's right. That's right. So, man, it was an absolute pleasure. Enjoy the beach. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the businesses. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of great things coming up. I am definitely going to be buying some of your courses. Specifically, I've got a couple in mind and I know it's going to up my podcast game and what I'm doing with other small businesses and my book and everything. So I'm going to be a student of yours for sure. And I'm just so happy that I got to meet you and, and have you be a part of the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. So for those of you who are listening, once again, this is Jonathan Green. His website is servenomaster.com. Check it out. You're going to learn a heck of a lot and you are going to change your life forever. So with that said, thank you for listening. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.